live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, the time's 8.03 on the 25th of January. A very warm welcome to Tuesday's Money Talk. This is Peter Lewis with today's business news live from Hong Kong. Stocks around the world have tumbled before US shares staged a huge afternoon rebound as the Fed starts its first monetary policy meeting of the year later today. It's widely expected to announce that it will bring an end to its stimulus policies that have sent equity markets surging over the past two years. Fears of a Russian invasion of Ukraine added to investor nervousness after the US and UK ordered partial withdrawals from their embassies in Kiev. Growth stocks, especially in the technology sector, have taken the brunt of the selling amid a violent switch into value plays. Eurozone business activity grew at the slowest rate in 11 months in January. The IHS market's flash Eurozone composite PMI slowed to 52.4, down from 53.3 in the previous month. Economic activity growth in the UK has slowed to an 11-month low as consumer spending was held back by the increase in COVID infections. Cathay Pacific said on Monday that it expects its 2021 losses to have narrowed to between 5.6 billion and 6.1 billion Hong Kong dollars. Cathay said that while the loss was substantial, it compares favourably to the $21.6 billion loss reported for 2020. The airline operator said the improvement was driven primarily by strong cargo demand, adding that it carried approximately 1.3 million tonnes of cargo in 2021, the same amount recorded for 2020. Passenger numbers were subdued due to strict quarantine requirements and travel restrictions, with just 710,000 passengers flying last year, compared to 4.6 million in 2020 and 35.2 million in 2019. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong from Leeds Securities and John Schofield at Tempest Investment. With a view from Japan is Nick Smith of CLSA. And we value your input. Please text 6393 5925, email moneytalk at rthk.hk, post on our Facebook page Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3 or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. In a wild day of trading on Wall Street, U.S. shares plunged in the morning session before staging a stunning afternoon rebound in the most volatile day of trading since 2008. The S&P 500 index was down 4%, but closed 0.3% higher at 4,410, the first time the index has regained losses of 4% or more in a single day since the global financial crisis. At one stage, the blue-chip US benchmark was more than 10% below the all-time high hit earlier this month, putting it briefly in correction territory, and it ended the day around 8% from its record three weeks ago. The Dow plunged over 1,100 points at the low of the day before recouping all of its losses to close 99 points higher at 34,364. The Dow has never before closed positive after falling at least 1,000 points. The Nasdaq Composite Index tumbled 4.9% at the low of the day but recovered to close 0.6% higher. 
The S&P 500 Volatility Index, the VIX, also known as Wall Street's fear gauge, soared to 39 points, its highest since November 2020, before settling 3.6% higher at 29.9. Retail energy and industrial companies led the gains in equities. Meme stocks popular with individual investors took a beating. GameStop fell 5.8%, while AMC Entertainment dropped 7.4%. European markets were hit hard by fears over a Russian invasion of Ukraine. The region-wide Stock 600 index slumped 3.8% to its lowest level since October. Its tech sub-index dropped 5.8%, its steepest daily decline since October 2020, and taking its loss so far in January to more than 13%. London's FTSE 100 tumbled 2.6%. In Moscow, the Moex stock index fell more than 6%, taking its losses so far this year to nearly 15%. Russian government bonds plunged, pushing yields to their highest level in six years. The ruble lost more than 2% against the dollar at one stage to hit its weakest level since November 2020. Hong Kong stocks dived on Monday, with investors awaiting the Fed's monetary policy meeting later in the week. The Hang Seng Index sank 309 points, or 1.2%, to 24,656. The Hang Seng Tech Index slumped 2.8%, its biggest fall in two weeks, dragged lower by an 8.5% loss for Billy Billy and 7.5% for NetEase. The Shanghai Composite Index rose just under two points to 3,524. Chinese vaping company Huobo International crashed almost 67% in Hong Kong after the firm said China had launched an investigation into alleged illegal activities by Huobo chairperson Chum Lan Yu. Miss Chu, known as China's vape queen, is being investigated for unspecified suspected disciplinary violations, according to a Hong Kong stock exchange filing. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is down 1% this morning at $86.21 a barrel. Gold climbed half a percent to $1,843 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose one basis point to 1.78%. The US dollar extended its rebound. The euro is trading at $1.13 and a quarter cents. The greenbacks trading at 114 Japanese yen. The British pound is worth $1.35 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 50 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.33 and a half versus the dollar in offshore markets. And the price of Bitcoin briefly slid as much as 7% below $33,000 before rebounding to $36,600. It's at a six-month low and down around 45% from its November record high. And the volatility looks set to continue this morning in Asian markets. In Australia, the SX200 is off 1.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down half a percent. The Cosby in South Korea off 0.2%. And futures markets are indicating a fall of about 250 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning.
It's just gone 8.10. Let's welcome our guest, James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Lead Securities. Morning, James. Good morning, Peter. And also with us, John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Morning to you, John. Yes, good morning, Peter. John and James, let me just give you a couple of statistics. The last two times that the S&P 500 dropped 4% and then rebounded to close positive were as follows. October the 16th, 2008, it was down 4.6% and ended up 4.25%. That was after the EU, US, Japan all coordinated action to guarantee bank financing during the global financial crisis. And then October the 23rd, 2008, it was down 4.25%, closed up 1.25% after the Fed bailed out money market funds. So, um, how do you explain this time? What's going on? Why are we seeing this extraordinary volatility? Um, yes, well, um, actually, we've seen a few more incident, incidents like that. And it, it, it always kind of we're in a, a phase of adjustment uh, for the markets as a whole, and it will take probably several months to play out. I think uh, against the background of this gradual tightening of monetary policy by the Fed. But I mean, I, I suspect last night was a was a you know a temporary selling climax. We probably the first skirmish in this um, battle or war um, is may, may be over. We may see, see a little bit of um, backing and filling, but I wouldn't be surprised to see another another leg down. Uh, in, so you don't in, think in the, the storm's over yet? No, I think, uh, as I say, I think we're in a, a medium-term adjustment process. Um, and, it, you know, various categories of investor are, are, are trying to reposition themselves. You know, the smart money, if you like, has been offloading some of these very high-value, um, uh, high-priced uh, uh, tech stocks and gradually accumulating um, uh, value stocks, uh, cyclicals, whether it's banks or uh, energy and, and so on. So we're seeing, um, and then every now and again, some, somebody somewhere sees they've, uh, the, the, their program, their rebalancing re program is getting out of, um, is getting behind schedule, so they accelerate mm. selling. And then retail investors... Uh, Get a trigger to, to to panic as well, and 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 you end up with a with a, a, a sell off as, as as we've seen in the last few days. As I say, then um, this this happens a few times. I think it happened in late to 2018, if I remember rightly. But no, we've never seen the market, the S and P, down more than four percent before and rally to positive since 2008. Yeah, well, so you, you may quite extraordinary at the, at the margin. You may you you may be right, but I think I think in, t in terms of um, there was a big swing around on uh, Christmas Eve, I think it was, in 2018, when uh, President Trump finally induced the Fed to change their policy. Mm. <laughs> At that time, they were gradually, t they'd, they'd been tightening for, for several months, causing uh, the, the stock market to, to fall. Um, James, what's, what's your explanation for this, this volatility? As I said earlier, the, the Dow has never recovered before from a 1,000-point loss. So, I mean, although we do see volatility, this is quite extreme intraday volatility. Yeah, I think the CTA funds that have been chasing uh, a diminishing short gamma are uh, really covering and uh, chasing the highs uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, last night. And uh, uh, there are a couple of things happening before this uh, crash really took place. Um, 
people are really shorting U.S. equities and buying China equities. Uh, I think they, it's been staging for about two months. Back in November of tw November 24th of last year, we can see the relative price of a call option on a uh, China ETF is the highest against the, the price of a call option of a U.S. equity ETF. Mm. So, so people are doing a paratrade or a policy arbitrage or expected policy arbitrage because they are expecting China China to loosening their uh, monetary policy and U.S. Uh, in the tightening cycle. So this has been going on for a while. And I think last night when people see all three indexes plunged by this far, they, they think uh, it's probably time to cover their uh, their shorts. And uh, uh, we, we've seen, uh, like, like you said, it's been going on for uh, the last time this happened, the, the S&P plunged by 4% and then bounced back. It's in 2008. And back then, you can see the, the, the governments around the world or uh, Paulson himself is doing a lot of work to really comforting the market, mm. but not today. today well, there's difference, isn't it, yeah, today? Because the Fed's going to raise rates. Yeah, it's definitely different this time. We didn't see anything that Fed has already said that we did not know. Mm. We're expecting Fed to be a little bit more dovish, probably. Uh, in the meeting tonight, but uh, Fed didn't say anything. So mm. we're, we're expecting a, a rescue plunging team to step in. But I think the the main reason is uh, U.S. equity has been known for its blissful bull run for the past 12, almost 13 years uh, come this April. And uh, people, uh, the, with valuation or multiples this high, actually those stocks are sensitive to basically everything and anything. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, race being one of the most uh, important factor, the deal breaker. But right now we're seeing policy uh, markets uh, pricing in 4.3 times for the number mm -hmm. of rate hikes this year. I think this is a little bit much because we 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 expect Fed to raise like four times this year and uh, uh, probably announcing uh, quantitative tightening in June and start executing uh, it's reducing its balance sheet. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of liquidity drawn from the market and it's it, it might not really necessarily come to four times this year. But mm. uh, back then, I think the 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 back in uh, January eighteenth. Uh, of 2022, I think traders are extremely jittery about rehike expectations, and they over overreacted. And this is not new. Uh, how, how much do you both think that options has a, a, a large say in this volatility? Because we're seeing record amounts of options turnover in the U.S. market, with particularly retail investors uh, participating. Is that contributing to this volatility? Uh, yes, uh, yes, for sure. But again, that's part of the process of the big institutions are readjusting their portfolios. Um, they're going to use various option strategies as well to 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 help um, smooth smooth the path. Um, but it does mean that the you know the valuation of, of uh, uh, applied volatility and so on are obviously are going going up in line with the volatility in the cash market as well. Mm. And this trend out of um, growth stocks into value, maybe one of the biggest high profile growth funds is the ARK Innovation um, mm. Fund and probably the, one of the biggest, uh, if you like, benchmarks of value stocks is Berkshire Hathaway. Mm. The, the gap between the performance of the, the, those two mm. has now pretty well narrowed to, to just eight percentage points. Last year, uh, it was about 34 uh, 34 percentage points. Are, are we going to see that uh, sort of uh, switch, this violent swing really, out of growth stocks into value stocks continue? 
Uh, well, I think this adjustment process, as, as I say, has got uh, some some way to go, and it will take time. But eventually, we will reach a point where, you know, it's um, the scales are e equally weighted um, from a valuation perspective, and the, and the long term growth. Uh, Prospects will will uh, look more more attractive once the prices of these stocks have got um, have got back to more to more reasonable levels, uh, and vice versa. If uh, if the if the uh, cyclical stocks get chased up too um, uh, too much uh, too quickly, then there'll be a you know there'll be a pullback. Um, but so it goes on. As, uh, you know the trajectory of the Fed Fed monetary policy is is, is pretty clear, and I think it would take a a war or something to 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 knock that off. No, we might have um, that, but we're <laughs> going to have this. Um, as I mentioned last time, you know, there's a, there's a kind of little game going on all the time where it's a little bit. Are they going to be a little bit more hawkish or a little bit more dovish? But you know, to try and try and cushion some of the the market volatility. Um, you know, I just just see that um, that continuing. Yeah, we I don't. I don't, James, I don't. Would you be a buyer of uh, tech stocks at these levels now, or would you continue the switch into value plays? Uh, not necessary right now, because uh, if, we, <laughs> yeah, if, history is any, if, if history teaches us anything, back in 2008, uh, the uh, Dow plunged, or the, the S&P, all the three indexes plunged by 4%, and then bounced back, mm. and then after a month in November of It was a bad year, though, in the end, yeah. wasn't it? It didn't, yeah. didn't work out well. Yeah, it plunged by another 35% until... April of 2009. So are we witnessing something similar to the dot-com um, sell-off at the end of the 1990s? Is, is this going to be a similar process? Uh, Multiple-wise, I think, uh, yeah, we're already exceeding the dot-com bubble. And, uh, but I don't, I don't really see U.S. entering a recession. With that being the case, base case, uh, I think it's more like, to, uh, more, more like a uh, style switch from uh, growth to value for U.S. equity this year. Mm. So we've got the Fed meeting uh, later on this week. Um, and as you said earlier, you don't think they're going to be as, um, as hawkish as maybe some people are saying. Goldman's was saying over the weekend, uh, starting rate hikes in November and at least four this year and possibly a rise at every meeting until inflation is under control. Do you think uh, the, the markets are prepared for that possibility? Yeah, I think market is kind of uh, uh, want to have uh, want to use the stock market plunge as a leverage to force Fed's hand into pivoting their uh, hawkish view. So this uh, is the Fed puts coming into play again. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be coming in at all mm -hmm. uh, because right if, back in 2018, like John just mentioned, we we've seen S and P plunge by 20 percent, and on Christmas Eve, it bounced back and then forced back, uh, uh, Fed uh, uh, J Power starts to uh, withdraw from his his uh, hawkish view, and the stock market bounced back. And this time, we've seen not just J Power, but all the Fed governors with or without voting rights. The uh, the traditional dovish ones like Dali, like Brenner, the traditional hawkish ones like Walker, the uh, traditional rational ones like uh, James Buller, they all step forward and tell everybody, make sure everybody knows in the market that um, the, the Fed is going to be raising rates. It's going to kickstart the risk hike cycle in March. And uh, with Omicron being defined as a inflationary pressure, uh, I think Fed is not going to back off this time. Do you think, John, though, even though maybe the Fed put isn't there, 
uh, perhaps it's uh, the strike prices at a lower level. Is there a, a point at which if this market decline continues, the Fed starts to get concerned and backs off of uh, rate rises? Um, well, first of all, on the, on the um, growth versus value question again, um, yeah, I also, like James, I also see the, the uh, growth stocks uh, moving lower over time. Um, but we're talking, you know, these are some great companies and can't, can't, be, uh, can't be compared with many of the, the dross of the dot-com <laughs> era. You know, it's, it's, it's yes. somewhat less. I mean, of course, there are, there are speculative bubbles here and there, you know, in these things like meme stocks and so on. But, you know, um, a lot of it's been based on, you know, very strong growth very, in, the, in, the, in the economy. Um, and these are good companies. The economy generally is in great shape, except, you know, the inflation is the threat mm. to that prosperity and the strong economy and, and eventually good performance of, uh, of the stock market. So the Fed is quite right. I, I think they will. I hope they do. Uh, stick to their guns uh, on this occasion. Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts and explanations there. That's John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments, James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Leeds Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.23 and a half. Let's go over to Tokyo and see what Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA, thinks about all these market movements. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Jim. So let's get your thoughts, first of all, on what we've seen overnight on, on Wall Street. Some extraordinary volatility. We were saying earlier, uh, the biggest intraday swing since 2008 for the S&P 500. We've never seen before uh, then uh, the, uh, the market fall 4% and close positive territory. What, what's driving all this volatility? Well, the uh, the market's on not quite unprecedented uh, valuations, but it's certainly very, very stretched indeed. Um, and you know, growth does well in times of uh, um, growth stocks do well in times of uh, low growth, low inflation, low yield. Um, and we've got all of those three things coming back now. So people are moving towards. Um, towards things that uh, that pay a yield uh, mm. so you know if you're not paying a yield you might as well be be punting bitcoin and um and so um i think there is an attraction for markets that actually have um actually pay yields and um and trade at um at more reasonable valuations so where does japan fit into that are you seeing the same process there as well a rotation now out of growth stocks into value plays well, it depends what you mean by uh, by value. Um, it, certainly, um, a, a lot of uh, unloved stocks have um, have seen short covering and, and so on as we come into um, into this year. Um, and a lot of people run around saying, "Oh, we can recommend low price to book uh, stocks that uh, that don't cover their cost of capital." Um, but actually, if you look at the performance of the market, what's going up is is particularly those things that uh, that pay a decent uh, dividend yield. That's much more important a, a theme than the uh, the low price to book. Uh, but I have been um, focusing on on the fact that uh, Japanese low um, 
low valuations come at a time when uh, the country is absolutely awash with cash. Mm. Um, and so whilst uh, other markets, particularly the US, have been um, ha- had a, a rush of, uh, of share buybacks to, uh, to try and support stretched valuations, uh, Japan has kept its powder dry um, and has um, been accelerating its buybacks now as, um, as the valuations are uh, are very low, so we've got um, we've got 40% of uh, topics non-financials with uh, net cash of over 20% of ed- equity, which I would say is a pretty egregious level. That's mm. the uh, the huge amount of dry powder that can come into uh, uh, to buy back shares now. So then, if this theme is going to run and, and people are going to start looking more at value plays, and as you say, Japan is really the standout market globally uh, for for value. Why aren't investors pouring? into Japan. What's holding them back? Because the Japanese market has suffered almost as much as the US markets in the past week. Why aren't investors seeing this? Well, I mean, it is the easiest market to um, uh, to trade in Asia. So when you've got worries about um, about growth, um, people tend to uh, to punt in the Japanese market and pull um, money out of that, mm. um, you know, just simply because it's, it's harder to get their money out of other markets. Okay, so if if you look at um, if you look at Tokyo um, at the moment, all the cash on the balance sheets, presumably what they should do is buy back their own shares. Well, there's a mixture. I mean, obviously they've also got to think of, in terms of uh, of hiking their dividends, um, which gives, uh, if anything, a warmer feeling for. Um, uh, for investors, because they believe that um, that dividends are something that they'll get every year, whereas um, um, whereas buybacks are just fine weather things. Um, but yes, uh, um, that's uh, as you went through last year, you could see compared to previous years the uh, the growth rate um, accelerating as we went through the year until we had something I'd never seen before. Um, you know, um, in the the 20, uh, 20 years since uh, di- um, buybacks have been allowed in Japan, I've never seen them uh, do more buybacks in the second half of the year. At the uh, uh, the, mi- uh, the fiscal mid year phase in uh, November uh, was absolutely enormous in Japan, mm. and I think that uh, that gives you a lot of confidence that when we get to uh, fiscal year end reporting, which is late April, early uh, early May, we'll have a thumping load of uh, of share buybacks, and and that will be the kind of noise that wakes the neighbours and gets um, gets money into the Japanese market. And I presume the other thing that's going on, the other theme is rising uh, bond yields uh, around the world, government bond yields. Presumably that helps Japan's market as well because you've got strong earnings growth there. Uh, we have. I mean, obviously that's been the um, the issue for Japan for, uh, for a long time. It's had... Um, it's had um, much better margin expansion than um, than the U.S. over the the period since 2012, but it's had um, multiple compression. Uh, I think it's now a standout market on um, on valuations, and I think um, Japan is, is a play on the. Um, the accelerating global growth, the good global growth that's reflected in in bond yields um, really helps. And what are foreigners doing? Are are they starting to buy this market or have they been buyers of this market? Well, I think the the lows in terms of foreign involvement was about September of uh, of, uh, uh, 2020. So um, they've been on a 
um, upward um, trend since then, but uh, it looks as if they've been selling over the uh, the last week. We don't have figures yet, but uh, the kind of things that have been sold off are, 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 are certainly foreign favourites. I'm still sort of struggling to understand why people aren't ploughing into the Japanese market, because from what you say, it ticks so many boxes at the moment in, in terms of value and, and where you ought to be looking. Is, is it a political issue? Because we know that, for example, earlier on, Kushida, Prime Minister Kushida, didn't su- suggested he didn't really like buybacks. Has that sort of like put people off? Is, is that maybe one of the issues? Uh, I think people have to remember that uh, that we have a, a, a prime minister, not a president or a king, um, and that he's responsible for everything but has uh, power over very little. Uh, so he's made comments about um, capital gains taxes and, uh, and share buybacks. And um, I think that the market's learning to roll its eyes when he makes these comments and saying, mm, you don't have the power. Uh, the power in the, uh, the Liberal Democratic Party is, is more with the, the Abe faction, and he's from a, a tiny faction. So, no, he's he's um, he poodle begs for everything that he uh, that he can, but that he's not going to be given that. No, I think um, the, the point is the foreigners are um, uh, are up to their uh, their noses in um, in very expensive uh, uh, quality growth stocks in Japan, and first they're uh, they're offloading that, mm. and then when global markets are, uh, are stabilising, then they can um, they can thump in and buy some um, some value and some high dividend yield. Okay. Well, Nick, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo right now, the Nikkei 225 is down half a percent. The ASX 200 in Australia is off 1.1%. The Cosby in South Korea sliding 0.2%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 250 points at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is pretty well unchanged, $86.21 a barrel. Gold is at $1,843 an ounce. And that's it for me. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chat's coming up after the news with Jim Gordon and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, call in the morning, sunny periods, maximum temperature of around 21 degrees. And then the outlook is for it to be mainly cloudy, one or two rain patches in the next couple of days. It's 18 degrees right now, 85% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. So far, six preliminary positive cases have been found in one of three overnight lockdowns imposed by health authorities. It comes as Hong Kong recorded 109 cases yesterday, with dozens more at the Kwai Chung public housing estate that's at the center of a major outbreak. Todd Harding reports. Health officials have found five preliminary positive COVID cases at an overnight lockdown in Kwai Chung after testing about 525 people. No new cases were found after about 80 people were tested at a lockdown in Sham Shui Po. The outbreak at the Kwai Chung public housing estate has now grown to more than 200 cases. Elsewhere, authorities evacuated a building in Wong Tai Sin over fears that COVID-19 was being transmitted vertically through pipes. All residents in Unit E of Block 1 Tropicana Gardens in Wong Tai Sin were quarantined. Meanwhile, a handful of residents at Fu Kung House in Tai Wa Estate were moved out as their flats shared the same pipes. President Biden is holding talks with key European and NATO allies about Ukraine. Western powers are focusing their efforts on drawing up a common strategy in the face of Russian aggression towards Ukraine. Here's the BBC's Barbara Pellet-Usher. 
A White House statement describes the secure video call as part of close consultations and coordination between the U.S. and its allies. It will follow a meeting of European foreign ministers that was joined by the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. These are efforts to project a united stance if Russia's army moves into Ukraine by strengthening agreement on a severe sanctions response and signaling a military one. NATO has outlined a series of potential troop and ship deployments to reinforce allies in Eastern Europe. The White House is also considering sending U.S. forces. The British Prime Minister's office has admitted that staff at Downing Street gathered to wish Boris Johnson a happy birthday during the first pandemic lockdown in June 2020. It's the latest in a string of revelations about parties held there or in government, other government departments during coronavirus restrictions. The BBC's Nick Erdley says it couldn't have come at a worse time for Mr. Johnson, who's already facing calls to resign. This is a week in which Downing Street knew that the pressure potentially was going to come to a head. Speaking to Boris Johnson's allies around Parliament today, they seemed in a more relaxed mood than they had been last week. I suspect that this might change a lot of that because it's a very serious allegation that Boris Johnson was at an event that was principally social, that may have been involving people who were in the office, but that it was a gathering designed to celebrate his birthday. Bob Dylan has become the latest artist to sell his entire recording catalogue, including any future releases.